morning, Mosaic. How's everybody? To those students who are back, welcome. I know there's more dribbling in this week, but we are glad that you guys are back. Hope you had a nice holiday. We miss you. We miss you around here. So as we go into the new year, um, I'd like to just talk about some subjects as I am hearing things and seeing things as I, I do a lot of one-on-one with people. I do a lot of pastoral counseling. I enjoy that. I enjoy meeting with people for just coffee, lunch, whatever. And I, I, I do that a lot. And when I'm with people, I hear your hearts. I listen to what you're not saying. I look in your eyes. I can see your heart. And just as I do that, a lot of times that fashions what I say on Sunday morning. I go to the Lord. I say, okay, Lord, here's this flock called Mosaic. You've called me to be their shepherd. How do you want me to guide them and equip them and to lead them along with the other leaders that are here? And so they say that the number one rule of a public speaker is to know your audience, to know your audience. And so that's what I try to do is get to know you guys on on an intimate level and then fashion God's word to your needs and to also encourage you with God's word and to encourage you myself and all the other people that speak here. So I just want you to be encouraged this morning as I'm listening to your heart, as I'm listening to people in counseling. And as I mentioned in my email I put out this week, I'm a little concerned with the number of Christians who are struggling with anxiety, fear, stress, doubt. I'm a, I'm a little concerned about all that. I, we live in a very anxious culture right now. And I've feel like the Lord is guiding me for the next two or three weeks to address these issues. And there there are issues that can always be addressed because the enemy hates the fact that we would live in peace. He hates the fact that we would just be so humming with God that there'd be no problems and whatever comes into our life, we just go right to prayer. We go right to God. We go right to accountability. We go right to whatever. He hates that. He just wants to drive a wedge, a schism between us. He wants to continue to make us all worrisome and fearsome and all that stuff. That's his goal is he wants to disrupt us. And we're just going to try to equip you to say you don't need to do that. Since the beginning of time, each generation has had to deal with their own angst and these issues in one way or the other. Anxiety, fear, stress, doubt. Uh, This isn't new. This stuff is not new. It's just different today. My concern is that in our generation now, there seems to be a disproportionate increase in these areas over the past several years. I've I've just seen it. It's escalated. The more I read and the more I'm seeing the word, I'm, the word epidemic attached to these things or the word disorder attached to some of these areas. One of the many articles I've read and I've, I like to read, that's my number one passion. So whatever I get my hands on and I just, I, I just enjoy reading. And so I was reading an article recently. It was entitled, America Really Is in the Midst of a Rising Anxiety Epidemic. Another article, I see that word epidemic, and I'm going, okay, what's going on here? What's going on here? I want to read a part of this article to you, not much. It says this, if you're feeling stressed, uncertain about what the future holds, or even physically unsafe, try not to panic. You're definitely not alone. 
New survey results show Americans' anxiety levels experienced a sharp increase in the past year, with almost 40% of respondents saying they felt more anxious than they did a year ago. That's a pretty high, big spike following the, on the heels of a 36% jump between 2016 and 2017. The poll shows us, the poll shows us adults are increasingly anxious, particularly about health, safety, and finances, says American Psychiatry Association President Anita Evert, whose organization sponsored this poll, this study. This year, Americans reported feeling more anxious across the five key areas of the poll, health, safety, finances, politics, and relationships. Arguably, these fears are more often tied to one another thanks to no small part to today's 24-7 news cycle and the near constant digital and social connectivity that frames our modern life. Increases in anxiety were common to both men and women and were seen across people of different races and different ages. While millennials are more anxious than older people, baby boomers saw the biggest age-related spike in anxiety with a seven-point jump over the 2017 figures. So, and again, I'm reading article after article after article on this stuff, and a lot of the, the thread that I'm seeing is a similar. It's just a, a huge increase, especially in anxiety, worry, fear. And we need to address this from a Christian perspective. One of the main writers, things this writer said that I'm seeing is what I just read to you. These fears are often tied to one another, thanks in no small part to today's 24-7 news cycle and the near constant digital and social connectivity that frames our modern life. We obviously live in an age of instant information. I'm not, I, you know, because I'm a little bit older, it's not always been that way. Um, I, don't, I, I don't handle it well. Uh, as much as I like to read and, and, and be aware of what's going on, I, uh, I love silence. I love to get away. I, I love silence. And that's something that's kind of foreign in our culture today. You, can, you have to be very intentional about getting away and being still and being quiet. There's, we live in such a beautiful part of the country here. I would just encourage you as often as you can. I mean, we live in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. It doesn't get much better than this. I've traveled all over the country. It doesn't get much better than this. We live in a beautiful, beautiful part of the country in central Virginia. And to go away and just, you know, get alone and be still and be quiet, it's a discipline. It's a discipline. For those of us a little older and grew up with it, and when I, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have cell phones, it, it, you, know, you know, you're a product of your environment. You're a product of the way you were raised. Some of you had a cell phone in your hand when you were eight or nine or 10. It's just, that just kind of dumbfounds me. You were socially connected at a very young age, some of you, and that's all you've ever known. I want you to know that's not always good. That's not always good. You need to disconnect. That was from an old man. You need, <laughs> you, you, you need to disconnect. <laughs> and I agree with him because <laughs> I'm old. But uh, we do need to disconnect. 
these fears, like I said, are tied to this, but I'm convinced that we were not designed to have cellular devices attached to our bodies 24-7 with relentless, simultaneous updates on every local, national, and global crisis. I'm convinced that's not good. That is not good. You could be walking the aisle of Kroger. You could be studying. You could be taking your kids to a soccer game. You could be sitting having coffee. And while you're doing that, six or seven times that you're doing that, you can get constant updates of all the crises and ills around the world. I don't think that's good. I don't, I don't think we need to know all that stuff. I really don't. I don't think that creates peace. I really don't. And, and again, it's so hard if, you know, there's different age groups here. And so the millennials are saying, or 20-somethings, they're like, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about, Rick, because that is your life. And the others are going, Ugh, I don't even like carrying that thing on me. I don't even like always being connected. I don't like always being on call. I don't like that. No, nor I don't like that. On, on Monday, unless you're dying, you're not going to get a hold of me on Monday. Okay, that is my day off. That is my Sabbath. And I've, tried, I've said this over and over again. You better be dying before you call me. Don't think of calling me on Monday. You will never get me, ever. Okay, and you'll just make me kind of anxious if I see your phone number there. Call me Tuesday morning, but don't call me on Monday. Okay, I need a day of rest. That's my Sabbath. You need a Sabbath. You need a day of rest. You need a time to just be still. You, and I'd, I'd just encourage you to fast from your phone. What would that be like? You know that you went a day. Some of you, unfortunately, can't even imagine that. Well, I am too important. I don't think so. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think anybody in this room is too important to uh, you know, be able to put that thing down. So I'm saying, I'm all for staying in touch, guys. And with current events and being well-informed, I am. I just don't know if our souls have the capacity to comprehend and process all the world's ills. I just don't. I know God does, but I don't think I can. I don't think we should. I don't think we should go there. I just don't. I agree that all this information is not only breeding anxiety, it's breeding disconnectedness. It's pretty sad when kids and family members have to text each other just to talk to each other. And they're standing next to each other. Or they're at the table in a restaurant. Or they're, you know, they're texting each other. I mean, we're losing the ability to communicate. We're losing the ability to be active listeners. We're disconnected. We think this is connecting us, but it's really not in many ways. Because we're, our head is in there. I mean, studies are showing from chiropractic associations of today's 20-somethings. Your necks are curving, okay? It's kind of like you're always here. It's like, oh, I'm so kind of like, got all the stress in my neck. Hey, no, no kidding, you know? If you're down there, you know, 24-7, and you know, you're not looking at the world, you're going to miss the world. It's like people walking, and they're always walking. You, you, you can tell a lot about a person by the way they walk. Do people walk? If with their head always on the ground, you know? Or do you walk with your shoulders up, your butt in, and you see life, okay? You just see life. 
But a lot of people walk, they're hunched over, their posture's poor because they're just kind of like walking like this. And you're missing the world. You're just missing it. So stand up, put your shoulders back and see life and get your face out of the phone. You know, get your face out of the phone and just enjoy life. Now that I've stepped on so many toes, we will just continue. Um, so. Healthy interpersonal communication and active listening is, listening is becoming a thing of the past. I believe our culture is not only overstimulated, it's also too loud and too fast. Too loud and too fast. We are not only inundated by information, but too much noise and too much activity. It, but again, if it's all you've ever known, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. You're like, well, what am I missing, Rick? And because you don't know the other side of it, because you haven't gone to the peaks of otter, because you haven't gone for a hike in a while, because you haven't shut off all the noise in your car, because you haven't fasted from your phone for three days, because you haven't disconnected your computer, because you don't even know sometimes what you're missing. And its silence is so amazing. We took the men this uh, last Thursday to the movie, It's a Wonderful Neighborhood, uh, it's the Mr. Rogers movie over at the plaza here. Go see it if you haven't seen it. And there was 20, 20 of us guys that went over there. And I, remember, I took my, my, my wife and my two daughters. My son, I think we all went over the Christmas holiday or New Year's. And we went and saw it for the first time. And I, I like going to movies, good movies. And I, I enjoy just the depth of a lot of them. And so as I was sitting for the first time, and Mr. Rogers is in that Chinese restaurant with the other gentleman in the movie, and he's saying, listen, uh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to ask if you do something with me right now. I'm going to, for right 30, 60 seconds, for one minute, would you just right now stop? And I'm going to ask you in the 60 seconds to think of all the people in your life that actually made you who you are. I want you to think of all the people in your life that actually have created kind of who you are. So let's just do, I'm just going to ask you for 60 seconds. And then you saw the movie and I have never been in a movie with such a profound minute because it brought us into the movie. It was so, so quiet. It was loud. I mean, silence is loud at times. And not only were we watching a movie that was doing this and we're in the mood, but it was saying in the audience, I mean, I looked around me. There wasn't a soul moving. You wouldn't have dare budged during this truly was 60 seconds that they took out of this movie to say, just be quiet for 60 seconds. Guys, it was a profound moment in that movie. And I just loved it. And it just brought me back to thinking, oh, I just love silence. Silence is beautiful. Beautiful. But you can't even say that if you've never practiced it. It's a discipline. And I just want to encourage you to steal away some time and get alone and just be still and know that he is God. You've heard me say this, that your generation has been labeled as not knowing God because you can't be still. Because you can't be still. Be still and know that I am God. But if we don't disconnect, you're not even going to know what that feels like. So I just want to encourage you, please, on a beautiful day like today, 70 degrees in January. Some of you have come to my attention are actually canceling out prayers that I am praying. My prayers are for a wicked snowstorm. 
and it has come to my attention that some of you are praying against that. So I have called my posse to fast. So we're not only going to pray for snow, we're actually fasting. So you are done. You just need to stop. You just need to stop. Anyway, I just wanted to get that off my chest uh, and stuff. So what's the best thing in life? To sit in a coffee shop with a fresh cup of coffee and a new book, and it's snowing outside. Life does not get any better than that. It just doesn't get any better than that. Anyway, that's on a personal note. We'll get beyond me. Um, We talk about slowing down, about shutting out the noise and finding time to relax and decompress. We talk about that. That's great in theory, but I'm not sure we can control the velocity and volume of our own existence. Let me say that again. I'm not sure that we can control the velocity and the volume of our own existence. This is just the nature of 2020. This is just the nature of the world in which we live in. It's simply where we are. Living life at the level of intensity we currently live can and is producing anxiety, fear, stress, and an overall sense of uneasiness. It it just is. So the question is, did all this cultural angst take God by surprise? Of course not. He obviously knew we would be living in this type of world in the 21st century. He just asked us not to get caught up in this world. Don't get caught up in this world. Going into 2020, I think God is calling us as Mosaic to quiet our souls and live at peace and rest on the inside, no matter how crazy the world around us gets. I just believe that. I've had a lot of time to practice that since I broke my foot three months ago. Um, I've had a lot of hours of just sitting in the recliner at home, staring out the window and being quiet. And I have loved it. I have loved it. And it got me back. It centered me again. It it had me bring my default back. Because my default is not noise. My default is get back to quietness. Get back to peace. Get back to resting your soul, Rick. I, I just, I crave it. It's in me. It's in my DNA. I grew up watching my grandfather sitting on the porch in a rocking chair. There was, then we had black and white TV. It was just a point where he would sit there and he would just be staring over the, the meadow or staring over the fields and not saying anything to anybody. And I would be sitting there as a little boy. Hey, Pipier, French for grandfather. Hey, Pipier, Pipier, um, what are you doing? Oh, nothing, Ricky. Just listening. Well, Pipier, what do you, why, 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 you know? And it's like, and he had so much patience with me. Pipier, what are you, what are you thinking about? Oh, lots of stuff, Ricky. Well, Pipier, what do you see? Oh, look, come here, come here, sit next to me. What do you see? I don't know, you know, you know, <laughs> but he trained me. He trained me. And he, he, he what you just knew the quietness that was so important. We didn't, we didn't have all the gadgets. So it was just so nice. Just to, I, I miss those times when he died. I'm thinking, I'd just give anything to sit in the rocking chair next to my grandfather and just not say a word. You know you're really secure in yourself and, with, and who you're with if you can both just sit there and be quiet. Just sit there and be quiet. We, a lot of times we feel like we've got to keep talking. No, you don't have to keep talking. Just be quiet i.e. shut up. You know, it's just important to be quiet. 
sometimes. We, if we get a little silence, we're like, somebody's got to say something. No, not really. Not really. It's kind of nice. And you know you're secure in your relationships, be it marriage or otherwise, when you can both sit there and just not say anything. You don't have to. You just don't have to. So it's important that we, that we do that. One of the greatest examples in the Bible of someone who knew how to quiet their soul was David. The most famous king of Israel. He was a warrior, a king, a politician, a family man, a visionary, a musician, and a songwriter. If anyone knew what it meant to face constant stress and pressure, it was David. It was David. The most lasting legacy that David left with us, you're all aware of, are the songs recorded in the book of Psalms. He left us with some beautiful imagery and life of how to live it and not let life get all over you. Play with life and don't let life play with you. That was David. And look at who he was. If anyone knew what it meant to face all the stress of the world, he knew what it meant. 3,500 years ago, David practiced something in his time that we need to practice in our time, and that's how to quiet your soul. How to quiet your soul. So I want to look at David a little bit and uh, just give you kind of an overview today. In Psalm 131, David gives us some practical insight on how to do that. Turn to Psalm 131. Psalm 131, if you would, please. Bring your Bibles. There's Bibles on tables. If you're looking on your phone and you go toward your internet or Instagram or anything like that or Facebook or email, um, we actually have cameras that are watching that (laughs) and we will take your phone. Uh, No, we won't. I'll just throw something at you. Psalm 131. David. Number first one. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and and forevermore. This is one of the shortest books in the Bible with only three verses, but it has so much to teach us about quieting our souls and finding that inner peace. And that's why I want to unpack a little bit. David was actually a man before his time. Even though he lived in ancient times, he could relate to someone living in our age, in our time. Remember, David was a hero in Israel. He was a hero. He was a celebrity. He was the most important person in any room that he walked in. Okay, he was David. It didn't get any bigger than David. He had more power, fame, fortune, and responsibility than most of us could ever imagine. He may may not have had a cell phone, but he also had everything he wanted at his fingertips. He had people who served him 24-7 and would get him any information he wanted at a moment's notice. He was king, and he had a lot of servants. David's environment was fast, it was loud, and it was absolutely crazy at times. He was king, ruling a kingdom. It was bizarre. Yet, 
In the midst of Davis, David's overstimulated world, he seems to have discovered how to live life from a quiet and a peaceful place inside. Just read the Psalms. But yet he was king. He had a ton of responsibilities, more than any of us will ever think about in this room. So how did he do it? Look at verse 1. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. This is a radical statement for a king to make, especially in that culture, because he would have been treated like a god. It was David. The stories of Goliath, the stories of this young shepherd boy, the stories of the victories in war, the stories of Saul, it all followed him. This is David. But he said, I, my heart is not proud, O Lord. He had tremendous success. My eyes are not too haughty. I have discovered a way to rest my soul. What David is saying here is, I know there is a God, and I'm not him. I know there is a God, and I'm not him. You may say to me, Rick, I've got a lot of stress, anxiety, and problems. But a God complex? That's not one of my problems. Okay, that's not one of my problems. No one worships me. I'm not a celebrity. And I certainly don't think that I'm God. Maybe so. But think about this for a minute. To some extent, we all struggle with viewing ourselves as God in our own lives. We say things like, it's all up to me. If this thing is going to happen, I'm the one that has to do it. The promotion is up to me. The way my kids turn out is up to me. My retirement account is up to me. Getting that house is up to me. My kid in the right school is up to me. My business or startup being successful is up to me. The betterment of my marriage is up to me. It's up to me. It's up to me. It's up to me. And we say this stuff all the time. This is all God language. This is God language. Think about it. Yes, we all have responsibilities, but ultimately we aren't in charge or control of our fate. God is. God is. But many times we think we are. And that's God language. So do we struggle with a God complex, little G? Yes. A lot of people do. A lot of people do. David told God, I'm not letting my thoughts get blown out of proportion. I'm just not. Yes, I am the most powerful man around. I am the king. I am the man. But I am not God. You are. You are. Here's a man who had everything, accomplished things that you can't even fathom. But his God complex? No. You are God, and I am not. We just need to ask ourselves, where are we in this? Where are we? David would tell us here from verse 1, if you want to have a calm, quiet, and peaceful soul, you have to recognize that you are not in control. We are not in control. In our day and age, that's the opposite of what we usually think. We tend to assume that if we lack rest and peace due to the uncertainties of life, then the answer is to do more, to prepare more, to nag more, to study more, to have more money, or to even pray more. Let's do more, 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 more. Let's just keep doing more. If you've lived any length of time, you realize what a lie that is. That isn't even close to the truth. Not even close to the truth. But you're not going to hear that from the world. The world is going to tell you more, more, more. Get up earlier. Go to bed later. 
do this, make that pedigree, that profile, that, you know, make sure you have that resume, make sure this, make sure this, make sure you take all these classes and make sure you do all that. It's like, stop, stop. And you're driving yourself crazy, absolutely crazy. God says, be still and know that I am God. We have trouble being still. We have trouble being still. We want to equate external control with inner tranquility. Let that sink in. We want to equate external control. I'll just keep doing more with inner peace and tranquility and rest. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. We've got it all backwards. We really do. No matter how hard we study, pray, prepare, work, rise early, or go to bed, ultimately time and chance happen to all of us. We can't guarantee anything. We can't guarantee anything. You're going to fall off a ladder, Rick, and it's going to change your life for the next several months. By the way, you're not going to drive for 90 days. What? What do you mean I'm not going to drive? for? Yeah, it's your right foot. You're not going to drive. Your wife is going to have to haul you all over the country. What? There's no way that's going to happen. If somebody would have told me that four months ago, I would have thought you're crazy. Your life is going to change in a second. And you're going to be still. And you're going to know that I am God. And you're going to sit and stare out the window and times just cry. Because you're trying to make sense of it all. And that's okay. Because tears have a way of washing the dirt out of your eyes so that you can see more clearly. And I want to see more clearly. I want to feel more deeply. I want to listen more intently. And that's my goal for 2020. I want us as a body to just slow down. Just slow down. Decompress. Some of you guys are wound so tight, one more thing is going to snap that internal spring in you. You gotta slow down. It's not up to you. It's not up to you. Repeat after me. I am not in control. I am not in charge. I did not number my own days. Or order my own ways. I will make plans. But I don't direct my own steps. That'd be a great statement to read every morning, to read every day, to let that kind of get in you. It'll be on the website in a couple of days if you want to you know, use it. And just say, let me just reconnect. I've got I've to reset. I've got to reboot. I don't like my default. I actually never experienced what Rick is talking about because I'm 22. But I actually, I think I'm going to go to the mountains. I want to listen how loud silence is. I, that, that, that's, that's an oxymoron. What is he talking about? I want to listen how loud silence is. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you've never experienced it. You've never experienced it. Get away. Be still. And don't get me wrong. I believe in ambition, working hard, setting goals, and having a whatever-it-takes attitude. You know that about me. I'm a risk taker. I will jump out of airplanes. I will do whatever it takes to... Uh, Connect with my kids, my daughters, my, I will do whatever it takes. I am a risk taker. So I believe in all that. I believe in setting goals. I believe in all that. But your greatest strengths can become your greatest weakness 
if you don't leave it in check. Your greatest strengths will become your greatest weakness if you don't have it in check. And it's important that we have it in check. Reckless and self-focused ambition is probably one of the main reasons people are feeling such angst inside. Let me say that again. Reckless and self-focused ambition is probably one of the main reasons that people are feeling such angst inside. Let me just, just don't turn there, just listen. You're familiar with the story. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? Ooh, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Where are you between the Mary Martha syndrome? Where are you? Are you like Martha? Go, 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 you know, stop, you know, or Mary has chosen the better thing. You can have good, better, best. Let's go for best in 2020. Don't settle for good. Oh, I got away every now and then. You know, I think last year I got away once. Okay, that's good, but don't settle for just good. Let's get to better and best in 2020. And what's the best thing? Mary has chosen the best thing. She has chosen the best thing. Don't settle for less than best. Don't settle for less than best. Ambition that isn't tethered to God's calling tends to take on a life of its own. Often it turns into competition and comparison. Powerful statement. Powerful statement. Judah Smith. Powerful statement. Often it turns into competition and comparison. Yeah, but Rick, do you see how successful they are? Did you see their GPA? Did you see what they're doing? Did you see the ladder that they're climbing corporately? Did you see this? Did you see, did you see what they're driving? Do you see where they live? Do you see how their kids are dressed? Do you? Stop. Just stop. Because stop comparing yourself to yourself. It's not wise, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians. Stop competing. Stop thinking we got to have bigger and better and best and the number of 10 or 11 that's out now. Just stop. But we just get all caught up in this grind. We feel like it's up to me. It's up to moi. <laughs> and then you fall off the ladder. And then you're like, whoa, I guess it isn't up to me, is it? No, it's not up to you. It's not up to you. It's up to God. He ordained my steps, even though they got a little awkward. He ordained my steps. He ordained my steps. So guys, I've just unpacked one half of one verse for you because I feel like that's enough. I feel like we've said a lot. My goal this year is to, to not pack in so much on Sunday mornings. It's just to give you a little bit of meat to go out there instead of thinking we got to accomplish it all on one Sunday 
it's 4.15 and you're still here. You know, Rick, you know that shut up thing you said? You know, you might want to practice that. Um, Next week, we'll go a little bit deeper into David's life because this is profound. There's so much just in these three verses. What does it mean to have a weaned child sitting in your lap? What does it mean? We have three children. My wife breastfed all three. I wanted to breastfeed. I would have exactly done it if they would have let me. You know, it's just kind of like, I just wanted to be close. I couldn't get any closer to my children. I just, I remember when they were born and Levi was born and it was just, thought we were going to have a home birth and we ended up at a hospital after 42 hours. When you say we, it's like I did something here, you know? It's like we, we, we're, we are pregnant. No, buddy, no, you're not pregnant. She's pregnant, okay? So I didn't do anything other than get her pregnant. But anyway, that's a whole other story. So I digress. (laughs) Big time. Um, So, um, boy, I don't know where that came from. But anyway, is my wife in here? Oh, she is. I'm sorry, babe. I embarrassed the tar out of her. Um, but it's a play where Levi, Levi or Leah, we didn't want to know what sex the children were. So uh, Levi or Leah, I talked to the womb, and we were so excited for this little guy to come, or girl, and we're doing the labor. She's doing the labor, and then the midwife says, we got to go to the hospital. This baby's not coming. We got rushed to the hospital in Bedford. We had set it up ahead of time in case we had to go to the hospital. We liked the Bedford Hospital at the time. Now we didn't have Virginia Baptist like it is today with the, the area they have. But, um, so we're in Bedford, C-section. And, oh, my wife, she wanted to bond so badly with, with our baby. And I understand that, a mother wanting to bond with her son or daughter. And she couldn't because she just had a C-section that I stood in there and watched them do. And uh, I wanted to be there to be able to grab my son or daughter. And they pull out my son, Levi. It's, it's a boy. My wife is awake from halfway up down, you know, she's awake and it's just like, what is it? Is the baby boy? And I showed it to her. I said, can I have the baby? I said, well, what do you mean? I said, I'd like to have the baby. I'll walk down to the nursery with you. And so we walked down to the nursery and little Levi was crying and I felt bad for my wife. She's in recovery, but we get down there and I had talked to the womb for months. I mean, I used to have fun playing. It's like I'd poke your belly and Levi would push back. And it was just like a game at night in those last couple of months. I don't think she liked it, but it was so, so much fun for me. And uh, so it was like, can you stop, Rick? Can you stop? But I'm saying, Levi or Leah, this is your daddy. I can't wait to meet you. I can't wait to see you into this world. And uh, he's born. We're going down the nursery. My wife's in recovery. Levi's crying. And all of a sudden I said, Levi, this is your daddy. Levi, I love you. And he's sitting under this heat lamp in the nursery. And all of a sudden, Levi just stops. Just as calm as can be. The nurse is saying, look at him. He knows his father's voice. He knows his daddy's voice. He knew my voice. I talked to that womb for months. Okay, I played with him in the womb. We, we had a connection already, you know. And he knew my voice. And then I took off my shirt and I just wanted skin to skin. And if my wife couldn't bond, then I was going to bond. I would have breastfed him if I could have. But there's a point. I just, just bonded with him. And it's so important that we have. When John, when John says, he's, gee, the Bible says, and John laid his head on Jesus' chest. Think about that. No other disciple did that. Peter, James, and John. But the closest was John. And he's the only one that put his head on his Lord's chest. Guys, it's important that we stop 
and we just say, what is, the, what is it in life that's really important? What is it in life that can get me closer to my daddy's chest? What is it in life that, because he, he's standing there saying, come, come, let me hold you. Let me, let me hold you. And he wants to do that this year for you. He wants to hold us. You, he wants you to know just how crazy he is about you. And so well, I want to walk you through that in the next few weeks so that you can understand. How do we even do that? That all sounds good in theory, but I'm a practical guy. How do we do that? How do we do that? So one thing I want to do before we close right now is one quick exercise. I want you to uh, think of this next statement that I'm going to put on the board. I want you to read it, and I want you to let it read you. I want you to think about the things I've said here today, and I want you to ask yourself, where am I at? Where am I at? Do I need to repent? Maybe. Do I need to ask for help? I'm not used to asking for help. I'm usually doing it myself. I, I can, I'm, you know, I'm a big boy, big girl. Maybe you need to just humble yourself and ask for help. Or maybe you need to thank him that you're seeing things in a different way and you can't wait to practice them. I don't know where you're at, guys. I just want to give you a little bit of time here to think about where you're at. Quietness and rest are found not in control, but in surrender. Just go to the Lord. Spend, spend a little bit of time right now in the Lord as we close this service out. Just you and God. Where are you at between control and surrender? Would you take over? Help me to not have that God complex, thinking it's up to me or it's not going to get done or I need to do more. Maybe some of us do need to do more because we're lazy or aren't where we would like to be. And that's, you know who that is. You know what they feel about themselves. But most of us just need to quiet down. Cut off the phone. Turn off the computer. I don't feel like we've got to be so connected. Lord, let us try it. Let us go into this new year less distracted, more present. Get out of the rat race. We're in this world. You don't want us to be of it. And right now this world is crazy. Absolutely crazy. And it's just going to get worse. But we can get better. No matter what happens around us, you're with us and you're in us. We can do all things and we can rise above anything. No matter what circumstances happen in life, no matter what takes us out, no matter what news we hear, uh, we can have a steady and a quiet soul. So I pray, Lord, for all of us today. Maybe you're calling us to go the mountains. Calling us just to shut off everything. I don't know. But Lord, help us to take that risk. To be intentional about quieting our souls. So bless these dear people. Let this be 2020 be a year where it just is. Look, we all look back and go, what an amazing year. My relationship with Jesus grew in a way that I didn't even imagine. My love for him is over the top. My reliance on him is amazing. I don't worry or fear. I'm not anxious 
about money anymore or safety or my health. I just have turned it over to him. So God, let us be that witness to the community around us that may be fretting because of war, may be fretting because of disease, may be fretting because of rumors. But Lord, we're still and we're steady because we know it's up to you and not up to us. So Father, give us that peace that passes understanding today and let that be our witness to a frantic world. Let us rise above all the stuff that's around us. We can only do that as long as we walk with you. Let that walk be so strong this year, Lord. Bless us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, we will dig deeper into anxiety and fear and uh, just continue on this road. We will see you next week. If you need prayer, please come forward.